gives week after week. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. We're going to be in Galatians 4 uh, this morning. But before we get there, um, I know this may sound crazy to some of you, but I remember the very first time, Steve, I was standing right about where you're sitting right now uh, in the very back, and Carl Turner walked in, and I said hi to Carl. And then I asked him a question. I said, hey, Carl, how are you doing today? And this was his answer. Pastor, I'm doing finer than a frog hair split three ways. And I literally stood there, froze. I didn't know how to respond to that. I, I, don't, e I, don't, I don't even know what that means. Like, <laughs> I've heard people say, well, I'm doing fine, I'm doing good. I've even heard people say, I'm not having a good day. I've never in my life heard someone say that I am doing finer than a frog hair split three ways. Wh what does that mean? But how, how many of you know exactly what he's talking about? Like, yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it's like these figures of speech that, that everybody understands in, in a culturally relevant way. Like, like, we say stuff all the time that we understand that's a figure of speech, like her smile lights up the room. Well, her smile doesn't actually light up the room, but it, we, we say it as if it is. And, you know, you athletes have heard, you know, oh, he's, he's got ice water in his veins, meaning like... He's calm, cool, and collected all the time. Or, or, or we've said, I know I have, yeah, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Well, imagine somebody, imagine saying that to somebody who didn't realize that we were using a, that as a figure of speech. It would really confuse them. And so what we have to understand is, is, is figures of speech are just a part of, of who we are as a community. If I were to tell you today, if you were to ask me a question, and my response to that question is, I don't know, just Google it. You know what that means. Imagine saying that to someone 30 years ago. Google it. I don't even. Imagine if Google was not a company a thousand years from now and somebody looked at something that was written in 2022 and the answer to a question was Google it. And they have no idea what Google is, they would not understand that whatsoever. Right, and so the, the cultural relevance is very important for us to understand. I'm saying that because as we read the Bible, we have to understand that the Bible was written thousands of years ago in a very different culture. And so there are going to be times when we approach the Bible, and if, if our thought of going to the Bible is, well, I'm just going to read the Bible and see what it has to say to me today, there are going to be times where you are going to fail to get anything helpful. For example, Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he says the kingdom of heaven is as leaven that leavens the whole lump. I've never made bread before, ever, in my life. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what leaven actually looks like. So that, that doesn't help me unless I begin to understand what Jesus meant. But the people whom he was speaking to made bread every day, so they culturally understood. I get that. When, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven as being a treasure hidden in a field, you know what we do with our treasures? We put them in banks. So when we read it's a, it's a treasure hidden in the field, I don't even know, what, what does that even mean? Why would I bury my treasure in the field? We have a bank. And so that's so important for us as we read the Bible to understand that the Bible was not written to us. It was written for us. 
And what Paul is going to do in this passage that we're going to look at in Galatians 4 is he is going to use figures of speech that would have made complete sense to him and complete sense to those who had a great knowledge of the Hebrew Bible, which to us we call the Old Testament. Sadly, and I'm not trying to heap guilt on this, but sadly, we don't as Christians today have a great understanding of the Hebrew scriptures. And because of that, when we read something like we're going to read today, and if all we do is go at it, I'm going to open up my Bible and I'm going to read 10 verses today. What am I going to take out of it? I promise you, if you were to read this passage today without caring about what it actually means, you would get zero out of it, zero application. And so it's really important for us to understand as we go into these last 10 verses of Galatians 4 to understand Paul is using figures of speech like Carl said I'm finer than a frog's hair split three ways you all got that I didn't know what he was talking about Paul is going to talk in a way that everyone that under that he was writing to understood that but we're in a different culture at a different time so it's important for us to understand what he means he's going to use three people and he's going to use three people to try to help teach what Paul is driving at throughout this letter, which is there is not justification in the works that you do. You cannot be right with God by going and doing good things. You cannot be right with God by that. You are right with God only through faith in Jesus. He's fighting these Judaizers who are coming into the church trying to tell the Galatian believers, you can believe in Jesus, but you must do these works of the law. He is fighting that as hard as he can, and now he's going to use an illustration. He's going to use three people. I'm actually, my family does not know this, but I'm going to use my family for a moment as an object illustration to try to help us understand. So, except for Lainey, can I, can I have the four of you come up? Sorry, Lainey, I'm not like leaving you out, but it's, you'll understand why in just a moment. Like it's going to be a little bit weird. I don't, I don't want to put you in a strange position. So Troy, come all the way over. Troy, Troy, come all the way over here. Trinity, you're next to him. And then Jamie and, and Trevor stay over here. Okay. Right. So just come a little, come a little, just, you don't have to go far. Just right here. Trinity, come over here. Sorry. My family hates being my family sometimes. Um, <laughs> come here. So, so I'm using them to help you understand. Paul's going to use three people. He's going to use Abraham. So I'm going to represent Abraham. He's going to use Abraham's wife, whose name is Sarah. And then he's going to use Abraham and Sarah's slave, which is what Trinity feels like <laughs> regularly. Uh, he's going to use Abraham's slave, Hagar. And, and he's going to show them, he's going to show the Galatian believers on how the gospel works versus the law. And he, here, here's what you need to understand. Abraham received a promise from God in Genesis chapter number 15. That promise was one day you're going to have children as the stars of the sky and as the sands of the sea. And here's what we find. Abraham believed that promise and God counted him righteous. And that's where Paul continues to go back to. You don't need the law to be counted righteous by God. You believe in God. And the reason Abraham's faith was so important is because Abraham and Sarah had had no children up to this point in their life. And he was 75, and she was 65. I mean, you're not really 65. I just won't make that clear. She's not 65. We're, we're using figures of speech, right? Um, and so God says, you're, you're going to have, believe me, and Abraham does believe. However, almost 10 years later, the two of us, Abraham and Sarah, still have not had a child. 
And so Sarah comes up with the idea, why don't you, Abraham, take our slave girl, Hagar, and have a child through our slave girl, and then we will just call that child our own. And so Abraham and, Abraham and Hagar, they have a child, and that child is born. His name is Ishmael. But Sarah, she's not happy with it. It's not good enough for her, but even more important, it's not good enough for God because God had made a promise to Abraham and he said, no, that's not the way my promises work. When Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90, they do have a child. That child's name is Isaac. So Abraham, or sorry, so Paul is going to take Abraham's life and Abraham's family, and now he's going to start using them as illustrations to try to understand the gospel and the law. Okay, can you guys just hang out here for just a few more minutes? So let's, let's jump into looking at Galatians chapter number four. Look at verse number 21. Here's what Paul says. Tell me. You who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? So real quick reminder, I realize it was two weeks ago and some of you wouldn't have been here, but two weeks ago, if you look back to Galatians chapter four, verses eight and nine, Paul says, hey, you were once under slavery when you did not know God and you were slaves to those who are not gods. Why do you, now that you know God, want to go back into slavery, but this slavery was now a slavery of the law? So this is what Paul's addressing. Hey, you want to be under the law? Let's talk about what the law actually says. And now he gets into the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, one by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. So briefly, could you look up here for just a moment to make sure we understand this? Abraham and Hagar had a child born of the flesh. It means it was Sarah's idea, and Abraham and Hagar played it out, and, and it was just natural. It's what the flesh does. It produces children when you have an intimate relationship. And Ishmael was born according to the flesh. It was a mind, The idea was the flesh. The action was the flesh. He's a child of the flesh. The child of the free woman, however, was a result of the divine promise. It was God's idea— it was God's idea, and, and, and we're too old to produce children ourselves, and so that child was born as a result of the promise of God, not the works of the flesh. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 24. These things are being taken figuratively. So we got this figure of speech, right? One co the, the, two, the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar st stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. Okay, pause. So do you understand now how I see, if you're just going to read these verses and say, what do I take out of it? You'd kind of be confused, like, I don't know, what in the world does that mean? So Paul says, these two women, they represent the two covenants that God has made with me. Mount Sinai and Jerusalem. Well, what happened in Mount Sinai and Jerusalem? The law was received in, at Mount Sinai, and in Jerusalem, the law was lived out. The temple was built. The priests performed the sacrifices. They made intercession for the people. The festivals were there. It's where the Passover took place. Hagar represents the law, and her children and her child represents those who are born of the law. 
Sarah is going to represent the Jerusalem. The Bible says Jerusalem that is above. So this is a heavenly covenant, not something made on earth below. Does that make sense? Okay, okay, just, just, just want to make sense for, for all that. So, so now we're like, now we're going to understand. Paul's going to use this. Sorry, I'm almost done with you guys. Paul's going to use this as a foundation. The law, the gospel. But now he's not just trying to get their attention about Hagar and Sarah. Now you two can go sit down. Come here. Now we start dealing with their children. Because here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to talk about Ishmael, the older son. He's going to talk about Isaac. And we're not going to read it, but in Genesis 21, this is important to understand because, again, this is a figure of speech that Paul's going to reference. In Genesis 21, Sarah, Abraham's wife, looks out to see the older son Ishmael terrorizing. Actually, the word persecution uh, is, is used in Genesis 21. The older son is terrorizing the younger son. And when Sarah sees it, she goes to Abraham and says, kick them out. Make them leave. I want them gone. And Abraham's like, he's sad because this is, this is really his son, and he knows it's his son, and he's sad. But God comes to him and says, Abraham, send them away. I'll take care of them. Paul's going to reference that in what we're about to read. We're going to skip verse 27, because I'm going to come back to that, and we're going to look at verse number 28, would you? Look at verse 28. He says, at that time, I'm sorry, we're skipping verse 28, and we're going to start in verse 29, excuse me. So, so here we go. It says, at that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. Okay, pause. Does it make sense to you? Are we good? I want to make sure you're good, because we can't go on if we're not good. Okay, next statement. It is the same now. Whoa, hang on a second. So Paul's going to use this figure of speech that Ishmael beating up Isaac is what's taking place in this church right now. And then he says, but what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Okay, so, so, so again, Paul's saying this. Now he's saying, listen, Galatian believers, we are children of the promise. And when the law, the Judaizers, when they come and they want to terrorize you saying, you're not good enough, kick them out. Get rid of them. You have people who have come into the church as believers, as children of the promise. We're children of the promise. And those who are coming in saying, I'm a child of the law. I, it is important of the flesh what we do. He says, when they start to terrorize you as they're doing, because that's what's happening right now, then you do the same thing that Abraham did to Hagar and to her son and make them leave. Now, I want to make this real clear. God is not saying this is how we treat individual people. Because if you go back and read Genesis 21, when Hagar and Sarah had to leave, God, I'm sorry, sorry, when Hagar and Ishmael had to leave, oh, God took such great care of them because they were real people with real needs and God really loves his people. 
He wasn't saying treat them unkindly. What he was saying is don't let the law come tell you that you have to do this and you have to do that and you're not good enough and live with guilt and condemnation. Tell the law out. I'm a child of the promise. I am a child of the king. And I became a child of the king, not through any of my own work. I didn't earn this. I was given this by a divine promise. That is what Paul is saying here in Galatians. Okay. Thank you, guys. Awesome. But we can't finish this without reading verse 28. Okay. Man, I keep saying the wrong words. Which, which verse did we skip? Ugh, 27. I am so sorry. I am so confused. Forgive me. Verse 27. Here's what's really important. Let me, let me pull it up. Paul is going to quote Isaiah. In the middle of, in the middle of his, does what we've gone over so far, does that make sense to you all? What Paul, okay. In the middle of this, he's going to quote Isaiah. Just one verse. But what we have to understand is when he quotes this one verse, what he's going to do is he's going to take everything that that verse actually means. For example, let me, let me tell you. If you were to hear the words, oh, say, can you see? Do you just take that one phrase and like, well, what do you see? What, what can you see? Uh, if I were to say the words, oh, say, can you see? What does that mean to you? The Star Spangled Banner. Now, now, people in the rest of the world who aren't patriotic Americans and don't know the history of America, if they were to hear the phrase, oh, say, can you see? They, that doesn't mean anything to them except those words. What Paul's doing is Paul's going to quote a portion of Isaiah that the people would have memorized, they would have known. He's going to quote from Isaiah chapter number 54. He's just going to use the first verse, and, and I, I'm going to read it. Verse 27. For it is written... Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Kind of like, we're, we're, we're kind of trying to figure these figures of speech out, right, with Paul. And what he's saying is, hey, hey, you who've never had a child. Oh, that's Sarah. Shout and cry aloud, you who are never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman, the one who never had children, than the one who has a husband. And I'm not going to explain verse 27 to you. I'm going to let one of my friends explain it to you. We go back and forth regularly uh, on Marco Polo, and he's, a, he's an elder at his church in Ohio. He's an air conditioning salesman. And he took time on his break to talk to me about Isaiah chapter 54, which is what this verse references. I would love for you, if you have a Bible, flip over to Isaiah 54. He's going to take three minutes and he's going to talk about just the first couple of verses and how Isaiah 54 fits into Galatians chapter number, or actually how Galatians 4 helps us understand Isaiah 54. We're going to make, need to make sure the volume's up for this one. So. His name is Jared. He's a great friend of mine. And he's going to take this verse and he's going to look at Isaiah 54. You ready? Hey Amen. All right. So I'm taking a few minutes here at lunch looking at Isaiah 54 again. You just don't get an opportunity to talk about this chapter in, and then in conjunction with Galatians 4 
very often. I mean, you could go through the rest of your ministry and never will this naturally come up in even Bible discussion with other preachers. So it's such a unique kind of a niche passage that I've never talked about it with anyone. Um, but it's, but it's very interesting to me. So the thing that's interesting is it seems that Paul is giving us a key in Galatians 4 to help us go back and make sense of Isaiah 54. And without that key, without Paul's key, uh, I don't think I would ever understand Isaiah 54. But once I take Galatians 4 and then I walk back into Isaiah 54, to me, this amazing revelation opens up. So then he tells us that he quotes from Isaiah 54 in Galatians 4. And he says that these two women being talked about in Isaiah 54 represent two covenants. So Abraham has two wives, Hagar. Well, he had Keturah later, but that's later. Abraham has these two wives, Abraham or uh, Sarah and Hagar, and they represent two covenants. So as you're following Paul's thinking, so then uh, Hagar represents the Sinai covenant and all those under the Sinai covenant. And Sarah in Isaiah 54 represents all those under the new covenant, the covenant that Jesus established um, in the upper room. So the Christian covenant, right? So you have the law covenant and the Christian covenant um, represented by these two women that were both in relationship with Abraham. So Abraham is the father of people from two different covenants, the Hagar covenant, the old covenant, the Sarah covenant, the Jesus covenant, right? The new covenant. So then you go back to Isaiah 54 and it says, sing, O childless woman. Well, who's the childless woman? The childless woman is Sarah and Sarah represents those of the new covenant. Okay. So sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem. This is New Jerusalem. You who have never been in labor. So it's almost like the song is being sung. If Isaiah is looking through history, he is singing the song at the, at the time, at the moment that Jesus is maybe dying on the cross, right? Because Jesus established the new covenant. This is my new covenant. And in the upper room on Friday, Good Friday, no, Thursday night. And then he dies on Friday and there are no children of the new covenant yet. Right? The new covenant is a barren, the new covenant is a childless woman on Good Friday. Isaiah 53. When Jesus dies on the cross, there are no children of the covenant. Insert Isaiah 54 right then, right when Jesus died on the cross. So the old covenant is full of people. There's a lot of people, but not global, right? Because the covenant, the Sinai covenant had never gone global. So there's a lot of children, but not a global amount of children. And now this new covenant has been established, the Isaiah 53 cross, and picture on Good Friday, Jesus' covenant has no children. But sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth, the new covenant. Break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you, have never, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman, Sarah, new covenant, now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, than Hagar, says the Lord. Enlarge your house. Ooh, the new covenant, you're going to have to get a bigger house. Build an addition. Spread out your home and spare no expense, for you will soon be bursting at the seams, global evangelization. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid, there's no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. Think about the Gentiles. Think about uh, the shame that the Gentiles were under, but no longer, because the gospel's gonna break forth to them. For your creator will be your husband. All of those Gentile nations, they had a creator, but the creator was not their husband. But now their creator, Jesus, will become their husband. He goes on for, the, for a long time, and he walks me all the way through Isaiah 54, and I'm not going to do that with you. But you understand what he's saying. Sarah is representing the covenant that comes through Christ. And when Christ goes to the cross, there, is, there are no children of that covenant yet. And Isaiah 53 is the suffering servant, where, where the iniquities of the world have been placed on him. 
through his stripes, through his wounds, we are healed. And he leads us into Isaiah 54, which he says, hey, sing, you barren woman, you have never had any children. And what, what, was, what, what Paul is helping us understand is Isaiah 54 is talking about when Jesus, when the new covenant actually comes into existence. And as the Christian covenant comes into existence, it begins to expand across the world. And the children of the new covenant are far greater in number than any children of the law covenant. Well, when he started to explain that going on through the rest of Isaiah 54, I was like, that is so cool. These figures of speech that Paul was using help us understand we're children of the new covenant. This is great news. And when those, like when the law comes and the law attacks you, which it will, because you didn't get into the family of God through anything you did. And so what the law is going to say is you don't belong in the family of God. You're not good enough to be in the family of God. You shouldn't be there because you're not living up to what God would want you to live up to. And what Paul says is when the law whispers that in your ear, tell it to go. And you remind yourself of who you are. I'm a child of promise. I'm a child of the king. So let me encourage you to live in the freedom of the gospel. Because you know what the law does? The law wants to enslave. The law wants to tell you you're not good enough. The gospel wants to give you freedom. The gospel wants to tell you there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But all the law wants to do is to condemn you. The gospel wants to, or the law wants to be about your work. What do you do in the flesh? And the gospel says, no, it's, it's not about what you do in the flesh. It's about what has been done by God for you. The law wants to place a burden. The gospel wants to remove the burden. And so when the law says you're not good enough, you remind yourself, oh no, Romans 8 tells me that he is for me. He loves me. I'm his treasured possession. And his 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God who made Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin for us, he did that so that in Christ we might have the righteousness of God. And so when the law whispers in your ear, you're not good enough, you don't measure up, you respond with, but I am in Christ, and in Christ I have the righteousness of God. That's how my Father sees me. Man, that, that's, that means we must daily rejoice in the freedom that's been awarded through the work of God and the word of God. Because you know what happens is what will happen when we've been given freedom, if we're not careful, we'll become the Israelites in the wilderness. The Israelites were freed from Egypt, and what did they say as they walked the wilderness? Oh, we want to go back. We had it so good back there. We want to go back. Oh, no. Oh, no. You didn't have it so good back there. But you forgot to remind yourself of how bad Egypt was and how good this freedom feels. So every day, may I encourage you, church, wake up and say, I was in bondage to sin. I was in bondage to eternal destruction, and I have been freed, not through my own work, but through the work of Jesus. And then, may I encourage you to believe in the hope, believe in hope in the promises of God. See, the gospel invites you 
to believe in the word that God has spoken and hope in the work that God has accomplished for you, even when you don't see the culmination, you can believe and hope. Just like Abraham said, I don't know how my children are going to be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea, but he believed. Hey, you know what? There are times, even the psalm that we read this morning, when he says, I, I, I know your everlasting love and your faithfulness stretches across the skies. He's saying in the middle of a difficult time in his life because he really believes in the character of God and in the love and in the protection of God. May we do the same. May we display our faith in Christ by granting the Spirit of God absolute freedom in our lives. What I mean by this is God didn't set us free in order for us to run back into sin. If there's someone who claims to be a believer and they are living in unrepentant sin, man, we gotta, we gotta be careful about that profession. Because we're not free to live in sin. We're free from sin to allow the Holy Spirit to have complete freedom in us. We were freed from sin so that God, so, so, that, so that we could live as Jesus lived. The complete freedom that the Son had that said, my desire is to simply please the Father in all ways. And that's what, that's what we've been called to do as Christians. And finally... We have to offer the same grace to others that God's offered to us. We have this child of the law who wants to bring persecution to a child of the promise. You know why people do that? Even, even believers, sometimes we get caught in the trap of, of thinking that it's what we do is going to determine God view, God's view of us. If we do enough good things, God is pleased with us. When we don't do enough good things, God is upset and angry with us. That, that's a dangerous trap to fall into. Because what happens when we think God's not pleased with us is we run and hide from God. But when we somehow convince ourselves that we've done enough good things and God is pleased with us, you know what we do? We start looking at other people and we say, I'm better than you are. What's up with you? How come you're not living up to the way I live? How come you're not obeying the Bible as much as I obey the Bible? How come you're not doing the things that I'm doing? You know what? If you, if you, if you were living more like me, you would be right with God like I am. And that is not the grace that we've been called to. Is there anyone who is more of a child of promise than Jesus himself? But how did he live to people who regularly failed his father? He loved them. He forgave them. He offered grace to them. He welcomed them into the family. And yet we have so many people, I think, that are believers that somehow because we've got our, our understanding of God so wrong that he only reacts to how we react, to how we act to him, and we don't understand. He has already declared us righteous because of our faith in Christ. 
that we somehow walk around bringing persecution to other people. You know, as a pastor, you know what grieves my heart the most? Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't, I don't mean the most. But you know what's something that really grieves my heart? Is how scared people are to come to church. And I'm not talking about believers. I talk to people regularly and invite them to church. And you know, when we start talking about coming to church, you know what appears all over their face? Oof. I don't know about that. That's a room full of people, and I don't know how they're going to react to me. You know what they're scared of? They're scared that they're not going to dress the right way. Wait, 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 wait. We're gathering? We're gathering to offer worship to the one who has draped us in his clothing, his righteous robes? That's who we're gathering to worship, and we're going to judge someone else by how they dress? But that's what the world is scared to death to walk into those two doors back there for. They're scared because they're afraid. What if I sit in someone's seat? You know, I've been working hard to try to save a couple of rows for people who might be new to the church. Like, I want to give them a place where they can just slide in and, and maybe not be noticed and not have to walk up towards the front. And when we as a church, well, we should see that we should see a sign there that says, look, at this is for people who, who may not feel comfortable sitting somewhere else. What a great idea to be able to make people feel comfortable here. I was reading a book this week. I told my wife I was so moved by what this pastor said. He said their church lives by a five-by-five five rule. If someone walks within five feet of you, speak to them. If they walk within five feet of you, speak to them. And spend the first five minutes after the service ends talking to someone you don't know. Well, no wonder a guy like that is seeing a church that's growing. You know what many Christians and many believers do is we walk into the church and we do it the same way every week to talk to the same people that we're already comfortable with. Where, where do we offer the same grace that says, I can't, I don't know if I can go to the Father. I don't know if I can go to Him. And Jesus has His arms wide open saying, come on in, man. You're welcome to the family. I want you to be here. You're no longer a stranger. You are an heir sitting at the table with the Father. You're my brother. How different would it be if people walked in the back doors and that was the reception they got? But not just in the back doors. Right? It's like, well, we gotta live, we gotta live that out. May I encourage you? Would you be willing to take the first four days of this week? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And would you think of someone that you come across regularly, whether it's someone you pray with, someone you go to school with, someone that you do life with, would you pray for them? And on day five, on Thursday, would you go to them and would you say, hey, this may sound, this may sound really weird, but our pastor on Sunday asked us to pick one person that we regularly talk with, and he asked us to pray for you, and I've been praying for you for four days. I just want you to know that. And what I want to know is, is there anything specific I can continue praying for you? 
And if they say no, that's fine. If they say yes, may I encourage you to do this. Right then and there, say, let's pray about that. Put your hand on their shoulder. Bow and pray a quick prayer for them. And tell them, I'd love to know how this thing ends up because I'm going to be praying for you. I just, I just think that we as a church family, we should be loving one another. We should be loving the community around us because we offer the grace of God freely as we have received it. Uh, last thing I'll, I'll say, but Christians, we, we need to be building the kingdom of God. But man, I, sp- I spend so much time building the kingdom of self. So much of my life is about me being comfortable, me having more, me being set the way that I want. We weren't freed to live our lives just to build our own kingdom. We were freed to partner with the one who freed us to build his kingdom. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't even know what that looks like for me, but I sure want to see what God's going to do. But it all starts by reminding us of how good God has been to us, because we'll never live this way if we don't start with the goodness of God. And you're here, you may be here today, you may not be a believer in Jesus. May I encourage you? You don't get to the Father by keeping the law. You get to the Father by believing that Christ is the way. And I'd encourage you, if you want to know more about that, I'll be at the back doors. Can we all pray together? Oh, Lord, I, I know that the law, it's, it's, already talking in my, it's already talking in my ear that I failed. It's already telling me that. You didn't communicate well enough. You stepped on someone's toes. People aren't going to be happy with what you just said. They're not going to respond the way that, oh, Lord. I told you this morning I was going to walk and I was going to speak whatever you asked me to. Lord, may we as a church, may we do this, may we just be committed to taking as much as we can of your goodness and your love and your grace. Just soak it in moment after moment until it can't help but overflow from us into the lives of those that we come in contact with. Whether it's offering grace, and I know it sounds silly, but whether it's offering grace to someone on the road that cut you off, whether it's offering grace to someone in the past that has said something that bothers you and you've never made it right, maybe, maybe it's time to make things right by you offering grace first, the same grace that you've received from Jesus. I may, I pray, I'm praying right now that the Lord places someone in the heart and in the mind of everyone in this room that we could truly pray for. And Lord, that you provide the courage for us as your followers to step into a relationship that we'd be willing to take a, take a risk and say, I'm doing this. The Spirit of God leads me. I'm going to take this risk and I'm going to ask this person. I'm going to talk to this person. I've never done it before. And I'm going to tell them I'm praying for them. And then I'm going to look to pray with them. 
oh Lord, we, we've, got to, we've got to be that son of the child of the promise that, that stands with arms wide open, not a child of the law that stands with arms crossed. May we as a church look to those doors as they open and may we look for people we don't recognize and welcome them and shake a hand and offer a prayer and speak to them so they feel loved and embraced by children of the promise. Oh, God, I don't know, maybe today was just for me because I know I needed to be reminded of how the goodness of God, it comes running after me. And you know what that does, Lord? That just sets my heart to run after others who also need to know of the goodness of God. And you could send us as missionaries with the message. <laughs> the gospel says, come. Come and believe. Come and follow. There's no other way. There's no other king. There's no other Lord. There's no other savior. This is it. And may we do it with such joy, such excitement, and such peace that people become overwhelmed by the same goodness of God that overwhelmed us. Ah, Lord, use us for your honor and for your glory this week. In your name we pray. Would you stand with me? And we're going to close singing about God's goodness. And let that goodness be a motivator for us to take that goodness to others.